This is Tanakhcast. Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 38, numbers, chapters 24 through 27. In case you're just joining us, Balak has just offered yet another set of seven sacrifices, and Bilam, instead of cursing the Jews, Wax is poetic, and now you have the opening line of the Matovu prayer, which, suffice it to say, is not a curse. So Balak yells at Bilam, but Bilam says, what are you yelling at me for? I I told you I could only say what God tells me to say, and here's another one, the Jews will smash Moab. Chapter 25 finds the Jews straying off the path, whoring with Moabite women, near offering and kneeling before Baal, which angers God, who tells Moshe to deal with his enemies King Joffrey style, as in, put their heads on pikes facing the sun, so, quote, the flaming anger of Adonai may turn from Israel. Moshe tells the Jewish leadership to purge the Baal worshippers from amongst the people, but in the meantime, a Jew and a Midianite woman start mixed dancing in front of the assembled folks before the tent of appointment, which arouses the ire of Pinchas, son of Eleazar the high priest, who grabs a spear and impales the mixed dancers. This act of violence delays the plague that eventually comes and claims 24,000 Jews, but gets Pinchas noticed by God, who is very impressed with his zeal and commitment. So God promises Pinchas a covenant of shalom, whereby he and his descendants will be an everlasting priesthood. Chapter 25 concludes with Jews preparing for war against Midian, which involves a head count. In all, 601,730 men are locked and loaded and ready to go. Never letting a good data set go to waste, God tells Moshe that he can use the census data to determine tribal allotments in the land of Israel, except for the Levites, for whom other arrangements will be made. Chapter 27 recounts a curious case of death and inheritance. Five daughters, one dead father. Who shall inherit? The daughters stake their claim at the entrance to the Tent of Appointment. Their father, Tzlavchad, they say, died in the wilderness. He was not one of Korach's rebels, but he did die because of sin. Most importantly, he had no sons, and thus the daughters wonder, quote, Why should the name of our father be taken away from the midst of his clan just because he has no son? Give us a holding in the midst of our father's brothers. And Moshe, for the fourth time, is stymied and thus must consult with God to determine how to rule in this case. God tells Moshe that Machla, Noah, Chogla, Milka, and Tirzah are correct. They are entitled to their father's inheritance, and not only them, but all daughters can inherit from their fathers. But before you get all sisterhood is powerful, God sets down the proper procedure for other family structures. If a man has no children, the man's brother can inherit, and if he has no brothers, then the man's uncles can inherit, and if he has no uncles, then the nearest kin can inherit. Wives, aunts, and sisters need not apply. Chapter 27 concludes with the preparation for Moshe's death and succession. Yoshua, Moshe's loyal aide and positive spinning spy, will assume leadership and finish the job Moshe started. Before Eleazar the high priest and all the people, Moshe lays hands on Yoshua, and thus the next leader is appointed. So, there's a lot to talk about this week. A human rights activist and spouse, Noah Mendelssohn Aviv, has a lot to say. Let's get to it. Welcome to TanakhCast. Noah Mendelssohn Aviv, I'm glad that your uh, people managed to book you in with my people. <laughs> Thank you, Dan Mendelssohn Aviv. 
It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad we were able to connect. Why, why did you want to come on and, and, and share your thoughts about this particular portion? Well, I have to be honest, I, it wasn't thoughts that I wanted to share. I wanted an excuse to read this particular portion because I'd known about it for many, many years. Um, my name is Noah. Noah is a heroine in this portion. And I knew that because my parents had mentioned it once, not that that's why they chose my name. They chose it because it was a, a heroine's name in, a, in an Israeli movie that they saw. But they also mentioned that she was a person, or maybe it was my teachers, I don't even know at this point, mentioned that Noah was a person in the Torah. And not only was she a person, she, it turned out, was also a feminist person who was one of five sisters who took this uh, really cool claim to Moshe and asked to inherit property. And I'd heard about this and I'd heard about this and not really feeling particularly uh, confident in my Torah reading skills, I never really bothered to go and read the portion. And it turns out it's, it's kind of short. It turns out, you, you know, it was, it was actually useful to have um, some assistance in figuring it out, which these days I get both in Udon and in Google, um, because the, the, story, the story doesn't take place just in this particular portion of, um, of Bamidbar, of Numbers, but actually, it actually happens in three different parts, and in each of the parts, Noah shows up. And so finally, for the sake of Tanakh cast, and for my own sake, after years and years of being curious, I just cracked open the book and, and read it, and learned about, learned about who Noah was and what she did. You're, you're, a, you're an Israeli-trained lawyer. You're a human rights activist. What would you have done if Noah and her sisters showed up at your office with this case? I love that question, right? To imagine these five young women showing up, you know, in, in my office today in Toronto already. I love it. And I also love it because it's kind of a bleep disturbing question, right? And these, these young women are being told the rules and the laws by Moshe. They're in the desert. Their, their father, their protector, I suppose, is, is gone. They have no brothers. And, and they're raising hell. And they're asking a totally subversive question. You know, can we inherit our father's property? What kind of a question is that? And, and maybe they weren't the only ones who didn't have a brother. There must have been, there must have been in the thousands and thousands and thousands, and that's what we're reading in the portion, right? About all the different numbers there were in the different tribes. There must have been other families where they didn't have brothers. Um, and, these, and these women asked the question, and it makes me think uh, about who is it that tends to be the, you know, the bleep disturbers. And maybe it is the people who are the outsider, the strangers, because when I went online to try and figure out how many women in the ancient world actually were able to own property, was this a completely radical thought that they had? Or was this something that, that took place in the vicinity? It turned out that in the Code of Hammurabi, the Babylonian law code protected a woman's right to hold and inherit property. That was about 400, 450 years before the daughters of Slovchad, Noah and her sisters, showed up on Moshe's doorstep and, and said, we want to inherit property too. 
I also learned that in 1472 BC, so now maybe about 100, 170 years before the Exodus, there was a female pharaoh in ancient Egypt. Hatshepsut began her rule over Egypt, first as regent for Thutmose III and later in her own right, with the full titles and regalia of a pharaoh. And it's also kind of funny to note that during her reign, she expands commerce on the Red Sea and undertakes an extensive building program. You think what happens to her, you know, <laughs> her successor later on and his experiences on the Red Sea, which are a little less positive. But that's, that's an aside. And there are other articles that I discovered as well that actually said that women in ancient Egypt, in law anyway, although not socially, had full equal rights to men and were fully able to inherit. So, so, said, so said the internet, so it must be correct. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and nonetheless, if these women had showed up in my office, I would have had to say to them, look, I, I, I admire your pluck, I admire your courage, I'm glad that you looked around and found something wrong and you want to change it, but, you know, I would need to advise you that your chances are very, very slim to none <laughs> because God speaks through Moses and... Moses is apportioning this land with the absolute assumption that it's going to the fathers and the sons. And all of the descriptions that we have of the census and of the tribes and of the succession within the tribes are all about father to son to father to son to father to son. Girls don't even feature. Girls don't get named. And so, you know... Hey, maybe maybe we can work with you here. Maybe we can put up a good fight. It's important to put up a good fight, even if you're not going to win. Maybe you can make a point here, which is is not exactly how it plays out. Um, but you know, but but your your chances are small, and are you are you are you up for the struggle? In other words, get out. <laughs> not not at all. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's great to have empowered young women saying there's something wrong. But, and, and, I, and we do have to be grateful to them coming from a different place, which gave them a different perspective, maybe. If they came from Egypt, and if, in fact, there was equality in Egypt, maybe that's what... And maybe their youth as well. I'm assuming that they're young if their father was dead. Maybe that's what gave them the, um, the wisdom and the insight to see that things could be otherwise. Well, that's an interesting point that I actually never considered that you know, maybe they had been influenced in their demand for property by their Egyptian masters and mistresses who took that as a matter of course. Uh, so I guess there'd be no no charter challenge here with with the daughters. What I what I discovered as well is that while women did okay under the code of Hammurabi and they were doing pretty well at least in law in ancient Egypt. If you zip across the globe to the UK, women didn't get the right to own property. Daughters of Tzlovchad were about 1300 BCE. In uh, the UK, it took them until 1869 to get the right to inherit property. Which would explain all those Jane Austen novels. Yeah, exactly, right? All those women who were forced out of their homes in, um, in uh, oh, the one with... Persuasion? No, not Persuasion. Um, oh, Ang Lee did the movie. It was beautiful. 
Not Pride uh, and Prejudice. In Pride and Prejudice, oh, oh. they're terrified of being forced out of their home. Crouching Tiger, Hidden, <laughs> hidden Dragon. No, it was um, it was the other something and something book. Aren't, aren't all of her books something and something? <laughs> Sense and Sensibility. Sense, there there you, you go. go. Sense and Sensibility. So in uh, in Sense and Sensibility, you what what plays out is that these this this woman and her daughters are forced out of the family home because the son from the first marriage inherits. In Pride and Prejudice, there is it's not there isn't even a first marriage and a second marriage. It's just enough that the father has five daughters, um, and the women are terrified, and the mother is terrified of what will happen to her. At least her daughters will marry other men and will have somewhere to go. But what's going to happen to her? If her husband dies, because they'll be left with nothing. Then there's Lord Grantham in uh, Downton Abbey, who's in a similar pickle with his daughters. Yeah, I mean, it's not him who's in the pickle, of course, because he, well, he'll he be dead. fine as long as he's alive. But the moment he dies, also, you know, the property goes over to a second cousin, a third cousin. It doesn't even matter how far, but there is no thought that it would go to the women and so it's really neat what happens here in this uh, in this chapter in in Bamidbar that these daughters come to Moshe and they say, Moshe, we have a bit of a problem. You've been giving out this land to everybody, and the portion that's supposed to go to our father and that attaches to our father's name, and this is how our father's name will be remembered, and that's how they present the case. That's not going to happen. What are their names here? I should mention them because they actually get mentioned a lot. Those names show up, I think. I think I found them three or four times in this text, which is quite amazing because daughters usually don't get mentioned by name. Wives usually don't get mentioned by name. Very few of them do anyway. But these are the, the names of the daughters of Tzlovchad were Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tilza. And they come to Moshe and they say, Our father died in the wilderness. Something about not being part of Korach's faction. He's left no sons. Let not our father's name be lost to his clan just because he had no son. So we think that there's a, I think that there's a tie-in between the land and the, and the father's name. Give us a holding among our father's kinsmen. So instead of laughing them out of the tent, which you would have expected Moshe to do, Moshe turns to God and says, Okay, God, you decide. And God says... Yep, they're right. They're speaking the truth. And there's no discussion. It's just Ken, right? Ken, but not Slovchad Yep, that's, that's what they're saying. It's true. And so you should give them a hereditary holding among their father's kinsmen, transfer their father's share to them. And then he goes on and says, this is God, speak to the Israelite people, and here are the inheritance laws. And he now goes on and makes a broader rule saying, if a man dies without property, sorry, if a man with property dies and doesn't have a son, you transfer the property to his daughters. If he doesn't have a daughter, then it goes to his brothers and other kinsmen. And I think at that point it goes right back to the male line and we forget that women ever showed up in the first place. Right. But at least, at least, it's not just Machla, Noan, Choglan, Milka, and Tirza, the daughters of Tzlovchad who inherit. But just in case you missed it, because maybe precedents aren't such a feature in the Tanakh, this is actually a broader rule that we're going to let all daughters inherit where there is no son. You know, let's not get too excited. We're not kidding ourselves. This is not equality. This is only if there's no brother, and it's only to protect the name of the father. But it's a pretty good start, and it's certainly better than what they had in the UK. 
So this is a pretty earth-shattering precedent. So like, even though you would have counseled these daughters, you know, listen, your chances are pretty slim, you know, take it. We'll, we'll see where we can go with this. Mm-hmm. So you get this ruling. Mm-hmm. You pop some corks of champagne. Yay, we win. So then what, what's the, how do you understand what happens later in chapter 36 when the elders of Menashe file an appeal? So these young women belong to the tribe of Menashe and, and the people from that clan come forward to Moshe and say, it's no good you giving this land to these girls because they're going to get married. And when they get married, that land is going to leave our tribe and go over to the tribes of their husbands. Because again, there's this just absolute assumption that the property will transfer with them. And so, once again, um, God steps in to tell Moshe what to do. And God orders Moshe to say, yeah, no, it's true what these men are saying. And therefore, the daughters of Tzlofchad can marry anyone they wish, provided they marry into a clan of their father's <laughs> tribe. It's like Henry Ford, you know, when he made the Model T, he said, you can tell people they can have whatever color they want, just as long as it's black. <laughs> and then, and then, like before, goes on and makes a general rule from this. No inheritance of the Israelites may pass over from one tribe to another, but the Israelites must remain bound each to the ancestral portion of his tribe. And, and every daughter who inherits a share has to marry somebody in her tribe. Now, it sounds, it sounds pretty bad. Um, and the daughters of Tzlovchad, by the way, did that. Machlan, Tirza, Chugla, Milka, Noah, again, all five of them were named, were married to sons of their uncles and married into the clans of Manashe, son of Joseph, and their share remained in the tribe of their father's clan. It sounds pretty restricting. Relatively speaking, it might not be so terrible if you realize that just at the beginning of chapter 26, so just moments before we started the beginning of this whole story, we learned that there are, in fact, 52,700 people in the clans of Menashe. And considering how easy transportation was in those days, it may be that they didn't have a huge amount of opportunity to meet people from outside the clan of Menashe. So, you know... You know, again, it's not it's not a great moment for women's equality. Um, and the assumption that the property will transfer to a woman's husband shows up as so obvious nobody thinks to question it. And Machla and Noah and Chogla and the others don't step forward this time and say, hey, we have another bleep disturbing question. Why can't we just hold on to it and it'll pass from us? to our sons or daughters, and we never have to worry about it leaving Menashe because we're from the clan of Menashe. No, those questions don't get asked. Um, still, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy, given where we started with, you haven't got a hope in hell, you're not going to win. I'm still pretty happy that there was this rule about inheritance, and that probably would have made a huge difference in the lives of, of young women who'd lost their fathers. So in, in your office, you'd put that up on the tote board as a win. <laughs> we'd put it on our website. We'd tweet it out, put it on Facebook. We actually had a victory for human rights and freedoms. Yay. <laughs> it happens sometimes. You just have to fight for what's right. Thank you for your time. I'm sure you have a very long commute back. <laughs> uh, 
uh, from the studio here. You know, we've had this kind of nepotism series. Like last week we had Mayan, and this week we have Noah. Uh, maybe we can squeeze another uh, family relation in for next week. Yes, I'm sure your listeners want to hear from as many Mendelssohn views as possible. <laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah. You know, at least I can guarantee like two people will be listening. Well, anyway, it was fun for me to be here and fun to have an excuse to finally read about my namesake, who wasn't my namesake, but who's a, who's a pretty cool character. Well, thank you again. Thanks. As always, you can leave a comment, question, or comment at the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Tanakhcast, T-A-N-A-K-H-C-A-S-T. Or at the next Jew.com, or leave a comment, question, or comment at the iTunes store, or at Stitcher Smart Radio or SoundCloud. And while you're at it, why not leave a review? That way, other folks who are looking for a little Tanakh learning might discover this humble podcast and join the fun. You're invited to come back and join us next week-ish. For episode 39 on the Book of Numbers, chapters 28 through 31. Y'all come back now. Here.